First and second concordance. Mm-hmm. Hallelujah. Let me get a scripture up here. Go to uh, Romans. Hallelujah. Mm-hmm. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Come on, lift up your voice and bless him right now. Come on. Bless the Lord. Hallelujah. Come on, lift up your voice and bless him. Hallelujah. We bless you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I just changed what I was going to talk about. Go to Matthew 22. I looked at that and went, that is not where I want to be. I just want to just kind of expound on this a minute. I'll show you a couple things I've never seen in this scripture before. A couple of very simple things. Matthew 14, verse 22. Matthew 14, verse 22. Read, I'm going to read a little bit, okay? So just keep your Bible open or your iPad or your phone or whatever you've got. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. While he sent away the multitudes, and when he had sent away, sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves. For the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea, And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out with fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered and said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And so he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to Jesus, to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind and was boisterous, He was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. I've read that how many times as a believer? I mean, how many times? This is such a famous passage of scripture. The Bible says that Jesus departed to pray and he left the disciples alone. (laughs) I kind of feel like right now where we are in this in-between season is it feels like we're alone. It feels like God has come in the past and he's coming in the future, but right now he's on a mountain somewhere. Maybe Mars. I don't know how long some of you have walked with the Lord. How many of you have been a believer for 10 years or more? Okay, good. Those, most of you here have been with the Lord for a while. And even if you're brand new in the Lord, it really doesn't matter. You're going to have times when you feel like you're alone. You're going to have times when it feels like God has moved away and left you all by yourself to face the situation you're in the middle of. There are times it seems that God is totally disconnected to our 
situation. It's like he's indifferent to the problem we're having. We know he loves us, we know he cares for us, but right now it doesn't feel like he's close. There are many times, it's like God is on the mountaintop somewhere and we're somewhere else altogether. The Bible says that the disciples were in this situation. The teacher had left the classroom. And now they were in the middle of the ocean, or middle of the sea rather, not an ocean. And they started encountering a storm. You know, just because you come to church, and just because you worship, and just because you listen to great preaching, doesn't mean you don't have storms. And just because you may have a good family, or you have a bad family, or whatever, it doesn't mean you're not having tonight a personal storm. Just because your business may be successful, it doesn't mean you're not having a personal storm. There are storms that people go through individually. How many have been through some? Have you been through some storms? There are storms that entire churches go through together. There are storms that nations go through. We're in the middle of one right now. There are storms that the whole family goes through. There are storms that couples go through. And there are storms that you go through all by yourself. But I do believe that it's those isolated storms that are probably the worst. Probably the most riveting are the ones that I am all by myself and I can't even explain to my wife what's going on. I'm in the middle of a storm that is so private that I don't think even if I tried to put it into words, others would understand it. If I could not get it out of my head through my mouth so that people could even understand the storm I'm dealing with. It's a private thing. And here are the disciples. They've been taught by Jesus. They've been instructed by Jesus. They've been with Jesus. They've seen His miracles. They've seen what all He's capable of doing. But now they're alone. He's left them by themselves. Do you know it's what you do when you're alone that really shows what you've learned? It is not what you do in the presence of the Lord that shows what you've learned. It's when you feel when you're the most lonely that you really, really realize what you've learned from the Lord. We've heard this before. People want testimonies, but no tests. You have to have a test to get a testimony. I'm not sure we've actually in the church, especially the last 20 years or so, been taught, been taught what faith is properly. I don't think we've had a proper teaching of faith. Because there are people who believe that if you have enough great faith, you don't go through anything. But the Bible says, in the fourth watch of the night, <laughs> a storm arose. <laughs> the most dark and intense time of the night, a storm arose. Don't know what kind of storm you may be in tonight, but I want you to understand if you've walked with the Lord for a short time or a long time, periodically throughout your life, you're going to have some storms. You're going to have some financial storms. You're going to have some relational storms. You're going to have some emotional storms. Some unexplainable storms. Sometimes everything can look like it's going right on the outside, but beneath the surface there's a storm raging. You put on your church face and no one knows. 
I want to give you some good news tonight. Just because you're having a storm doesn't mean you're not a believer. It does not mean you're not a Christian. It doesn't mean that you don't love God. And it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with your faith. Actually, storms prove your faith. Storms give you the opportunity to evaluate where you are in your trust of God. It's how I react in the middle of the storm that teaches me how I'm maturing in Christ. <laughs> I thought I'd been through some storms till I started a church 12 years ago. I thought I was more grown up until I hit some storms. But as you mature in the Lord, you learn that where you used to react badly or handle things wrong, as you grow in the Lord, you learn how to weather storms. And storms do not destroy you if you don't assist them in the process. Sometimes when a storm comes, what's coming out of your mouth can agree with the storm instead of agree with the peacemaker. You can destroy your future by opening your mouth in the middle of the storm and saying the wrong thing. You've got to pay attention to what comes out of your mouth when you're in the middle of a storm. When storm comes, I have to develop this fortitude, this dexterity to know how to be strong in the middle of the weather, to put my back against the wind. But you know something? If I only use my faith to stop the storm, I never know where I'm at in my area of growth. I never know how mature in the Lord I am. If I'm always asking God to take me out of the storm, if He's only a God that rescues me from the storm, then I never grow in faith. I only grow in Him when I go through the storm. Many Christians, when they hit a storm, they're like, Take me out, God! Help! Deliver me! If that's constantly your prayer chances are you haven't matured very far. Because that storm will cause you to mature. Anybody here tonight? Hmm. There's some things in this scripture that I heard a preacher preach one time that I wrote down because I had never heard them. I had never seen them. Do you know Jesus didn't have to walk to get to where they were in the storm? Have you ever thought about that? The Bible says he comes to them in the fourth watch of the night, walking on the water. The Lord didn't have to walk to get there. He could have just appeared on the bow of the boat. But God works in a process. And this scripture is teaching us that in the middle of the storm, he doesn't always come and go, I'm here, everything's going to be good. Sometimes he appears as a dot on the horizon. And he's so far away you think he's a ghost. Is whatever I'm seeing out there for me or against me? Is it coming to help me or destroy me? What is that? But there are a few things that the storm will bring you. And I want, I want you to 
catch these things out of this passage. The first thing I want you to catch is the presence of God. The second thing is I want you to catch is the provision of God. And finally, I want you to catch the power of God. Out of this passage, the presence of God is how he reveals himself to us in the storm. The disciples could not see him before the storm. But in the middle of the storm, he appears. I'm just taking this apart. Is this okay just to take a simple passage apart? If the situation that you're facing right now had never came, you would not have experienced his presence the way you are right now. Seasons of our life hold situations and problems that are tailor-made for God to show us his presence in a way we've never known it before. I don't know when we're going to figure this out, that the storms and the trials are tailor-made for us. They're tailor-made. If you feel like you're going through someone, something that you can't handle and that cannot possibly be overcome, then you're listening to your mind and you're listening to the enemy because the Father never puts you in a situation that He can't deliver you through. I've never faced anything like this because you've never been to this level before. Why have I faced this problem when I've never had it before? Or better yet, a boomerang problem that used to be but comes back. Well, that's just the devil being smart. Going, hey, it worked before, let's try it again. It got them off course before. It messed them up before. Let's try that again. (laughs) You see, many of us have testimonies, but they're not ours. And I do believe in telling other people's testimonies. I believe it's important that you tell other people's testimonies until you have your own. A lot of us can sit here and talk about God's present, how He came through for our mother, for our father, or through the revival, or for saints of old. We can talk about all that. And these are very good stories, and they should be handed down. They should be repeated. They should be given to generations. But until God comes through for you by His presence during your time of storm, you never have your own testimony. And when you don't have your own testimonies, there's something about a third-party testimony that isn't quite as real as your own. And the Bible says that we overcome the devil by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. When it says and, it's bringing something together. The blood of the Lamb and. When it comes to saving you from sin, the blood of the Lamb is all of it. When it comes to overcoming the enemy, it's the blood of the Lamb and. See, notice God puts an end in there going, you got to do something. The blood of the Lamb has done all it's going to do. But if you're going to overcome the devil, there has to be the end. And the end is your testimony, not Grandma's testimony. Grandma's testimony is a generational thing that gets handed down to me to build my faith, the stories of faith from generation to generation. But my testimonies are the ones that I overcome the devil with when he comes in so hard in my mind at times that I feel like I'm going to be crushed under the weight of the frustration 
Anybody ever had that doubt try to get in your mind? You overcome it by the word of your testimony. (laughs) Notice that Jesus doesn't show up in the first watch of the night. Have you noticed that the Lord doesn't show up the first sign of trouble you have? When things first go bad, He doesn't show up. When you first hear bad news, when there's first a bad report from the doctor, when there's first a bad report from your family, He's nowhere to be found. He waits until the fourth watch of the night. He waits till the trouble is at its deepest and the night is at its darkest. (laughs) But I want to give you some good news. The presence of God in the middle of your storm is enough to calm you in a crisis. The forced watch of the night, the darkest place of the storm, here comes Jesus walking on water. (laughs) And and you'd think he'd just say something profound, but he goes, be of good chair. (laughs) Oh yeah, we were just thinking how wonderful this situation was. Be of good chair. (laughs) Easy for you to say, you're walking on the water. We're about to go down in it. The original Greek for that phrase, be of good cheer, is take courage. Notice that phrase is old phrase, take courage. You have to take courage. You have to step into courage. You don't feel like you're full of courage. You just have to step into it. No matter what's happening, what's falling apart, Jesus is always there to say, hey, I'm here. Be encouraged. As long as his presence is with you, everything's going to be okay. If God is for us, who can be against us? His presence comes. Unless you open your mouth and disinvite him. Why does this always happen to me? Why do I always have the trouble? Why is it? If you'll look out on the bow of the boat and the horizon of the storm, you'll see someone that will be so far away they'll be unrecognizable. But he keeps walking closer and closer, and as he comes in, you recognize who he is. And you calm because he tells you, take courage. I was here all along. The second thing is provision. Out of the presence of God comes the provision of God. Peter said, if that's you, Jesus, make a provision for me to come and do what you're doing. I want to do what you're doing. I'm tired of being in this fear boat. I'm tired of everybody bailing water going, we're going under! You're out there just having a casual stroll on the ocean. I want to do what you're doing. I want to say to this church, wherever God's presence is, His provision will be there also. You love His presence here, He'll provide. Trust Him. It doesn't matter what you're, whether you're in a desert and there's no water. When He shows up, there's water. If you're in the middle of the wilderness and there's nothing to eat, when He shows up, there's manna. As long as you're careful, guys, to entertain his presence, you'll always find his provision. So 
With one word, Jesus moves Peter from presence to provision. With one word. And that word was, come. When we preach this story, many times we think this is a little lifeboat or a paddle boat or a little fishing boat. But I want you to think that there are possibly at least 12 people in this boat. This is a substantial boat. This is not a canoe. When you're in a canoe, the water line is about that far from you. We think that Peter just kind of slung a leg out over and said, I think I'll do this. No, he was in a, he was in a boat big enough to hold 12 people. So he literally had to come down the side of the boat to get to the water. So he says, well, how is that important? Well, it's important because sometimes you have to come down from where everybody else is if you're going to walk on water. We tend to like to go through trouble together. But sometimes if you're going to step into faith and step into the miraculous, you have to kind of come away from everybody else who's trusting the boat. Peter heard Jesus say, come, and he got down out of the boat. That's what the Bible says. Sometimes you have to come away from family and friends that are always speaking discouraging words to you in order to do the things you've seen Jesus do. The things your heart desires to do. Sometimes you have to step away from the crowd, from friends and family. Because even as much as our friends and family love us, sometimes, because they love us, they want us to always be safe. Honey, you stay in the boat now. The wind's blowing. I mean, a good wave, baby, and you're off in the ocean. And there's sharks out there, and they'll eat you. They'll eat you, son. You drown. You'll be drowned before you. You'll get caught in a rip current, and son, I mean, you'll be a mile away from this boat, and we will not be able to get anything to you. I'm telling you, son, stay close to the boat. Y'all know what I'm talking about? But you just heard Jesus say, "Come." Do you imagine? I want you to read into this with me. I mean, I'm, we got nothing to do but go eat pizza. I want you to work this with me a minute, okay? What must have been going on in the boat when Peter decides, I'm going to do this? And why did no one else try it? Everybody else was happy in the boat. Even though they were scared to death and they were being tossed, seasick, wet, puking, But they were happy in the puke. <laughs> Only one said, I want to do what you're doing. Where you're at looks better than where we all are. And nobody in the boat said, I'm coming too, Peter. One of the greatest trials of your faith is to move away from popular opinion. To move away from where people accept as normal to sometimes step into believing God for something. You can't believe for God to do the miraculous sitting in the boat sometimes. You have to come down out of His presence 
and move into his provision. You say, Lyndall, I, I know you're talking about me. You know, let me ask you this. Sometimes you have to look at the naysayers, the boat dwellers. You may have to say some harsh things. You may have to go, you know what? I know you're talking about me and you think I've lost my mind. You may not understand this, me being a revivalist and being a worship leader, but I'm tired about shouting about the presence of God. I'm ready to move into the provision of God. Because if we're going to accomplish the thing that God's put us on this earth to do, we're going to have to not always have His presence. But we're going to have to step to the next level of this thing where God will provide. If this church is going to accomplish what God called it to do in this city, He's going to have to move it out of presence. And I don't mean that by moving His presence. I mean He's got to move it to the next stage of provision. But you can't be happy in the boat to get to provision. If you're happy with what you have, that's all you're ever going to get. And it's not because Jesus is not able and willing. It's because you're happy with this. There is such a poverty, spiritual and physical, uh, mindset on the people of God. That the world is big and bad and they're overcoming and here we're just a little meager few. No. People who walk on water have to come down out of those thoughts. And they have to step out on something that's totally impossible and say, if you're calling me, I'm coming. There's not a storm in your life that God has not made a provision for. Isn't that comforting? The Bible says there is no temptation overtaking you but what the Lord has made a way of escape. You know what? Can I translate that Lindell version? If Eugene Peterson can have his own version, I can have mine. If he can paraphrase, I can, right? I'm not going to change it. What that means to me is there's no room of demons coming after you but what you won't be able to look between their shoulders or next to their shoulders or over their head and see an exit sign. It may feel like the room is full of demons and you're never going to make it through, but there's an exit sign right over there. It's the way of escape. And the Lord says, come on, just move through this thing and come over here. Nothing that God hasn't provided for. You're walking on water, but it makes no sense. You're being provided for, but it makes no sense. You shouldn't be here. You stepped out on the water and you're standing and you shouldn't be. Makes no sense. You don't see how, but it's coming together. It doesn't make any sense. Shouldn't be happening, but it is. Shouldn't be here. The storms of your life should have taken you out, but here you are. It's not making any sense. I overcame it, but it doesn't make any sense. Others did not. I survived it. It washed others overboard and they drowned. But here I am. Should have destroyed me, but it didn't. Doesn't make any sense. I should have been overtaken, but I'm flourishing. See, this story teaches us how you can fluctuate between the spirit and the flesh in nanoseconds. So many people would rather just stay in the boat. But I'm talking to you tonight about courage. 
But while I'm talking to you about courage, the enemy has another sermon he's preaching in your head right now. And if he's not preaching it now, he'll preach it tomorrow. You know what that sermon is? It's, got a, it's a two-word sermon title. It's called, What If? Oh, you've heard that sermon, have you? What if you get down out of the boat? What if you get out away from the boat? You're so far that you can't reach back to the boat. Now you're in a pickle. What if you get out there between the boat and Jesus and you're too far from Him for Him to get you and you're too far from the safety of of the boat? What if that happens? And then you start singing, you'll feel like a big boy then, won't you? What if you step out in faith and nothing happens? What if you step out in front of your peers and you sink? They're going to say you were weird all along. What are they going to think about you? What are they going to think about your God? What if? And right in the middle of what ifs, Peter starts sinking. He started listening to the sermon of Satan called what if. He's too far from the boat to reach the boat. He's too far from Jesus to reach Jesus. And he started looking at the waves and the what ifs. If you were just in the presence of God and the provision of God, what if might be a good sermon. But what if you get in the middle of something and your faith does fluctuate? What if your humanity kicks in at the wrong time? What if the ghost of the past appears at the wrong time? What if the enemy starts preaching what if to you? Let me tell you about a little courage here. The Lord says, shut up. Satan, it's not time for you to preach. I'm not finished with my sermon yet. We've been taught about God having the power for people who are good and full of faith. God having powerful, strong people and good people and God having power for those walking in His provision. But tonight I want to talk to you a minute about the power of God for people who feel like they're sinking. What about the ones who feel like they're going under? See, I can understand why God would use His power to uphold those who are marching forward, but I never understood that God has a power for those people who feel like they're going down. Anybody would invest in a company going up. But who wants to put any resources in a company that's going under? But then I looked in the scripture and I found Isaiah says that God gives strength to the weary. Hallelujah. I'm here to tell you tonight. Someone here in this room who feels like you're going down. The same God who calls you to walk on the water has the power to lift you from sinking. When everything looks worse instead of better, God still has power. When you've hit all your spiritual cues and you've worshipped all your sweet songs and you still feel like you're going down, God has power. When you momentarily took your eyes off Jesus and you started looking at the storm, 
God has power. When all of your enemies and your peers are looking at the step of faith you took and the result of it was sinking, God has power. When they say, I thought you were a great Christian, but look at your children, God has power. When they say, I've, you've been preaching God can fix everything and look at the mess your life is in, God has power. The Bible says that Peter began to sink. You know what the wonderful story part about this story is? He didn't. He began. Jesus did not have to reach below the waterline to pull him by the hair of the head because he was drowning. He began to sink. <laughs> God has the power to lift you when you've looked at your situation instead of Him. Tonight you may feel like you're sinking, but I promise you this, you're not going to go under. The Bible says a righteous man may fall down, but he gets up. There have been seasons in my life where I thought I was going down. I didn't see a way I was ever going to get through it. But God stopped by with His power and He lifted me up again. Can you imagine the others on the boat when He started sinking? You dummy! <laughs> now I want to show you something that I'd never seen in this Bible. I'd never seen it. The Bible says that when Jesus and Peter get back in the boat, the winds cease. I had never seen that. A lot of us think that when Jesus reached down and grabbed Peter's hand and pulled him up, the storm was over. It wasn't. Jesus and Peter walk back to the boat, and when they get in the boat, the storm is over. <laughs> I know things in the world may look dark. I know it may look like the devil's winning. I know it may look like the church is backslidden. I know it may look really bad. But I want to tell you tonight, we're not going under. We're not going to be swept overboard. The storms are not going to overtake us because there's a church of the Lord Jesus Christ that's going to rise and we're going to step in tandem with the Lord. And God is going to take some of your mess and turn it into a message. And He's going to take some of your tests and turn them into a testimony. And you're going to tell of the goodness of the Lord. And you will have joy again. And you will overcome it. And you will have peace again. The storm is not forever. But you've got to make sure that your words agree with the Lord in the middle of the dark. When it looks like nothing's going to happen, never have I seen the righteous forsaken, 
you know, the Bible is a good, a good book. It really is. And if, if you can't think of anything in, of your own to say, just quote Scripture. It worked for Jesus. I mean, Jesus gave us the example in the middle of this great temptation. He quoted the Scripture to the devil. Some of y'all feel like you've got to snort at him and yell at him and speak in tongues at him. He's heard your tongues before. He's not impressed. The Word of God scares him to death. Say the word to it. I will not be overcome. There's one greater in me than he that is in the world. I will not be overtaken. There's no temptation that has overtaken anybody except God has made a way of escape. And my calling and beginning is proof of my completion. I will accomplish everything God set forward for me to accomplish. I will do everything the Lord put me on this planet to do. And the only person that can stop it is me if I disagree with God's future for my life. So I refuse to disagree with God's future. I agree with whatever He says. Yes, Lord. Let me make this real for you, okay? I'm finished. That's my sermon. That's all of it. But let me make it real for you. I sound like a real man of faith, don't I? We started our church with, our first service was 16 people. And uh, over and over and over and over, I've heard people come to me through the years and go, God's going to give you a building. God's going to open up a door. God's going to do this. God's going to do this. And, you know, I mean, I love prophetic people, but sometimes my eyes roll at them. Especially when they say something that fantastic. Oh, yeah, they're just handing out buildings on the corner. Thank you very much. Yeah, they're just people with keys. You know, here, take a building. And I know everybody else's stories. You know, but I'm sorry. Is anybody else here real? Why does God always do it for her? He'll do it for me. Why does God just hand some people everything on a silver platter and I've got to wait till the midnight hour? I pray I'm red in the face and nothing moves. Right? Come on, admit it. You feel that way sometimes. And so I'd heard this over and over and over for years and years and years. God's going to give you a building. 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 And every time I'd go, well, praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know that religious, thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Oh, please just let this be true. But God, I doubt it. Right? I doubt it. And then it started coming that there was a particular building we were going to get. And it would come by different people who had no attachment to that building, that church, that place, nothing. No attachment to it. So here just a while ago, a couple months ago, a friend of mine came by. And uh, her and her husband and kids, and she's, she has grown kids, and they were headed to China. And they were on their way to Chicago back uh, up in that area where they live. And she said, she called me, and she said, hey, uh, Pastor Linda, we're here in town, and we'd really love it to come pray for our boys. They're headed to China. And I said, okay. So we sat down, and, and, and I, I met them at a restaurant, and they had about 45 minutes. She started, her, her and her husband started telling me this story. They, they wanted to start a worship school, and the Lord had finally provided a place 
And they had to like, fly to Atlanta and get in a car and drive to a bunch of states until the Lord directed them to the building they were supposed to have. And I said, how did you know it was the right one? She said, well, there were several the Lord said we could have. But there was one that when I walked through the door, I felt a familiar presence. And I said, okay, what presence was that? She said, well, ironically, the presence that connected all of us to you. And I said, okay, what do you mean? She said, there was a worship conference in Dallas, Texas, 2005 or six. You were there and you were leading worship. And she said, there were 4,000 people there. And I was in the very back corner worshiping the Lord. And she said, do you remember that meeting? I said, yes. I said, all of us were on our face, all of us. It was a powerful move of God. And she said, you were standing on your knees and you were singing to the Lord. And she, I said, yeah, I remember that. She said, well, before you started singing to the Lord, I was in the back of the room singing to the Lord because you were encouraging the people to lift their voice. And she said, I was back there just making up songs and singing to the Lord and little melodies. She said, I promise you, when you started singing over the mic, you sang the exact same melody I was singing and the exact same lyrics I was singing. And she said, the Lord says, today I've connected you to this man and his ministry. She said, when we walked through this building in Indiana, we knew this is the place. I felt that same presence. And she said, I told my husband, this is the one. So we had a nice meeting. She asked me about the church. I told her about what we were doing. Told her about 60 acres we'd bought. I'm telling you a story that's in process. This is in process. We bought 60 acres to build a building. So proud of it. I'm so excited. Did a big video thing for the church. And, you know, a drone fly over and we just made it cool. <laughs> we bought a piece of land. Isn't it great? Because we've been renting forever. And, uh, and so I'm so excited about it. I tell her all about it. Tell her what the church is doing. Tell her husband. She said, well, would you pray over my boys before I leave? And I said, sure. So I pray over her boys. The Lord gives me some words to speak over them. I pray over them. And we're getting up to leave. She said, do you care if we pray over you? I said, please do. She starts praying. She gets going. And she's about, you know, halfway through her prayer. And she stops. And she goes, ah, I need to pray something over you that's going to disagree with everything you just told me. And I said, obey the Lord. I trust you. Right? She said, there's a building coming your way. <laughs> she said, you're never going to have to build a building on that property you bought. Because God's about to do something in the nation. There's no time. You don't have time to build a building. She said, God's going to drop a building in your lap. And he's going to do it supernaturally. Well, I got out in my truck after it was over. And I said, okay. Just me and God in my truck. And I went, okay. Apparently, I have not been agreeing with you. So, okay, I give up. Lord, if you've got a building for us, Lord, make it so. I agree with your plan and not my plan. All right? Now, you ready for this? And we still aren't finished. We may still build. I don't know. I'm just trusting the Lord. Two months later, I'm finishing choir rehearsal. One of my choir members walk up and say, Hey, has the Lord ever spoke to you about being in this particular building in, in Nashville? And I said, Why do you ask? She said, Because I saw us in the building. 
this week I was praying and she said, I, I had a dream that night and we were in the building. It was our choir. You were preaching. It was our church. But it was this building. And I went, okay. I said, you're about the 30th person who's told me that in 12 years. She said, really? I said, yeah. So guess what I did? I got in my car and went, okay, God. You know what else I did? I went and met with a guy who has the building. And I said, I know this is weird and fantastic. But if you ever decide to sell this building, we want to buy it. That same day, I got an offer for double the money on our land that we'd pay for it. Double what I paid. And I just said, God, what are you up to? It's an agreement with heaven. With the things not that you're wishing, but the things he's saying. See, God is not obligated to fulfill your wishes. He's obligated to fulfill his word over you that is in compliance with his kingdom. And what he's saying to some of us in this room tonight, I really feel, is it's time for you to finally agree and listen to the word of the Lord that's saying simply, come. And I feel like the word that is for this church about this is, it's time to not come away from his presence, but come from the, pet, the place of presence into the place of provision. And some of you are going to have to get your minds bigger. Your minds are too small. Your faith is too small. And you've got to hold up in mentality that we've got a great thing going here, but you're going to have to get that off of you. And you're going to have to go, you know what? God's got something bigger than this. God's got a large border. God's got a people he wants to bring to you that are just suited for you. Just suited for you. They will understand you. They will get it. And even if they don't, they'll learn it. They're hungry for what you are. Hallelujah! So I want you to take courage tonight. Remember, it is not going to come upon you supernatural. You have to reach down and take it. You have to take it. Take courage. The Lord is with you. Take courage. The Lord will accomplish everything he says. Take courage. He's going to do what he said he'll do. Take courage. There's a people God has called you to. Take courage. Take courage. <laughs> is this a word to anybody? Good. Take courage for what you've asked the Lord for and hasn't come. Take courage especially for the spiritual things that you've asked the Lord for and you've not seen. <laughs> Father, I love your word. I thank you, God, that you are the one who walks on the trouble. And Lord, you come to us in the middle of our trouble and you walk on our trouble. And God, what you did for Peter is you literally, oh, I feel this, i got to say this. You re when Peter cried out, help me, save me, 
you reached down, Lord, and you pulled him up from sinking. But, no, but I noticed in your scripture, Lord, that you didn't calm the storm because you wanted to show him how to walk on what had brought him fear. You wanted to show him how to walk on the storm that had caused him to sink. So God, tonight in this room, Lord, release that kind of courage. Lord, that we can start to walk on the things that we are afraid of. We cry out, Lord, help us, save us. And Lord, as we've watched the storm and it's raged, but God, give us courage. Help us to grab a hold of courage tonight to do what you called us to do. And we'll accomplish it according to your will, according to your plan, according to your word. Hallelujah. 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 Praise the Lord. I said praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I didn't go too long, did I? Not too long. Hallelujah. Now, Holy Spirit, I ask you to begin to seal this in us. Father, for those sitting here tonight, you feel like you're sinking. God, I just ask you to seal this word. It's not going to overtake you. It's not going to overcome you, and you're not going to go under. Lord, encourage right now. Father, I ask you to encourage Scott and his family. Lord, just spend a, send a spirit of encouragement. Just encourage them in the Lord. Father, encourage them to know that what they're hungry for is actually on the table. And God, that you're going to bring a satisfaction to that hunger. God, you're not a cruel father that we ask for bread and you give us stones. Lord, if we're hungry for more of you, there is more of you to be had. And God, if we're hungry to see you move, you're going to move. So we cling to that truth and we cling to that in the middle of this in-between season. And we fill our heart and our mind, Lord, with visions of what it's going to be like when you do the thing that you've told us you're going to do. And Father, let our eyes be cast upon you and locked in in the name of the Lord. Pastor. want us to get prayer tonight. What a word. Thank you, brother, so much. So as we were worshiping tonight, and Brother Lindell came up and began to play on the keyboard, I, I felt this personally, but I just felt something just begin to deposit here. And the reason why I brought Brother Lindell in...